0: We are live with the Short-Term Rental Pro Podcast, where we interview folk who are killing it in the STR space and who have valuable information to share with you. We're with one of those folk here today, short-term rental investor and realtor slash broker, Tyler Kuhn. He's been one of the thought leaders in this space uh, that I have followed for several years. I've actually bought properties... Uh, with Tyler as well, so thought he was a great person to have on. Tyler, I'll let you take it away. Tell us about yourself and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, my name is Tyler Kuhn. I'm the owner of Savvy STR Agents. I'm based in Asheville, North Carolina, and I cover a big wide range area of the Western North Carolina mountains uh, as a real estate agent and as an investor myself. So I think for me, that's an important part of being a real estate agent is also being an investor myself. We just closed on one in February. So when our clients are talking to us about buying at higher rates or how to make some cash flow nowadays, I'm going through that experience with you. And as the owner of a team of real estate agents that sell exclusively short-term rentals, it's the only clientele that we work with, I think it's really important that we are on that journey with you. And for us, integrity really is number one. And so kind of our motto is that we would never sell something to an investor that we wouldn't buy ourselves as an investment. And I think that's what clients have really come to respect about working with us.
0: Absolutely. And it's, it's cool that, yeah, you you put your skin in the game and you preach what you sell or you sell what you preach. I forget that saying. But uh, yeah, so tell us your evolution. What I think is really interesting is that you know you were a realtor at first uh, and I'm assuming you had a career before that, but you went from a realtor and you really niched in on short term rentals. So yeah, tell us why did you do that? Like, I guess what led you to thinking, all right, this is opportunity. And what, you know, kind of how has your brokerage uh, savvy? How is that? How did it start? What did it look like? And then what's it look like today?
1: Yeah, so I decided a number of years ago to really niche down into short-term rentals after working with this doctor and he ended up buying eight short-term rentals with me. Wow. I was still working with first-time home buyers and people moving to and from the area. And I just enjoyed working on the short-term rentals. And so where, much
0: where were you initially? Cause I know you're, now you're in many markets, but what, what was your initial bread and butter?
1: Really, just here in Asheville, and, and kind of our initial bread and butter was working with people like first time homebuyers or people moving to and from the area and upsizing or downsizing. I, I worked with this doctor. And i if you read my culture index, I don't know if you guys know what that is, but you can Google it. And it's kind of like a personality profile. But the first line of it says, This person prefers data over people. And I love people, but I also really. that <laughs>
0: trying to say about you?
1: <laughs> I also really, really enjoy being here behind the computer screen uh, analyzing deals for me it's like like I have more fun finding a really good short-term rental deal than I do in the casino, you know? So for me, it's like hitting all the right buttons inside uh, when I can find that kind of unicorn short-term rental deal. I feel like I won the lottery, right. Or, you know, won 20 bucks on a dollar scratch off ticket. And so I love to kind of walk that path and it is more and more difficult nowadays to find that property, right. As the market gets more and more oversaturated and, you know, eventually we're going to hit 2 million listings in the U S here. Um, you know, what does it look like to still be able to get into this game and have something that's profitable? So that's kind of why I decided to niche down into short-term rentals. And I was so convicted in it that at the time, we, had, me and my business partner had a real estate team. We had buyer's agents and listing agents working for us. And we had admin support and everything. And I basically hit the restart button on my whole career. And I left the team. I left him with everything and, and went off on my own and said, I'm going to niche down to this market that's probably like 1% or 2% of the market. And it's been really rewarding. I was the number one real estate agent in the Carolinas region uh, for 2022, which is mind-blowing incredible. So today, now we've got five agents. We're in Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia, and looking to continue growing more into middle America, less in the big, huge tourist markets like Orlando or Gulf Shores or Destin, uh, and more kind of into middle America.
0: Gotcha. And when you say middle America, is that... I mean, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned Kentucky and I, and I mean, you have talked about the, the bourbon trail. Is that kind of the ideal, or like, you know, Memphis, you know, areas that are kind of middle market cities that have strong reasons for people to live there and go there, but aren't, yeah, those historical vacation rental markets.
1: Yeah, so I think to, to give you an idea, it's going to be kind of like Kentucky, where it's not so much an urban market like Memphis might be, but areas you know outside of Branson or the Ozarks or South Bend, Indiana. And So we're talking about college towns. We're talking about um, small regional destinations. The purchase prices are going to be so much better there that the cash flow is always going to be higher than either those urban markets or those totally oversaturated vacation markets, right? And it's nearly impossible. I was looking for a beach house like two weeks ago. I got another pre-approval from Brian Bacholt, and you know I was looking at shout beach out market. Brian. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Brian. I know, simple five hundred dollar check. And, you know, I think it's just really scary. Like what's happening in Florida, for instance, right now, I was talking, I'm going to do another name drop. I was talking with Chris Cheatham from steadily. And he said he wouldn't be surprised if insurance premiums in Florida go up by over hundred percent this year. That's crazy to me. Yep. Like if, if you're paying 10,000, now you're going to be paying 20,000. And that's a lot of cash flow to just lose out on, right? That cuts in that's 10,000 a profit just gone right out of your out of your pocket. And investors know that when you lose net operating income, you lose purchase price. You lose you lose resale value, right? And so I think that's what's happening in those markets and where we're looking at things like college towns or small regional destinations where it's not getting oversaturated and the numbers are still there.
0: Yeah, and I would say this is actually interesting. So personally, I have you know, I do a variety of strategies. I don't only buy. I've also done, done arbitrage. But for for buying, I have personally preferred doing places, you know, that kind of have some degree of like natural scarcity, which, you know, house houses bought with you or one of them in particular, really out there in bumble, bumble crap, middle of nowhere. So like, there's not that much supply out there. But then again, there's not a lot of data. Uh, there's not a lot of data. Like when we bought the house, there was really no... Comps and like, I don't think you tried to like say, Hey, this is a comp. Like, you didn't, there wasn't comps. It was just like, Hey, this house has a good view and you know, has the space that it needs to be a high performing cabin. But as you enter these spaces, uh, kind of like places with less data, uh, is that like, is that kind of what you're communicating to folks? Like, guys, yes, there's less, you know, there's not a perfect comparable property here to say this house will make this money, but that's also a good thing at the same time,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I think you know, it's, it's definitely important to dive into the comps, but what we're talking about nowadays is finding more unique properties. So like in Asheville, for instance, it, it definitely is getting oversaturated here from a short-term rental perspective. So what we're looking for here are really unique properties. The one I just bought in February, it's unique because it's 5,500 square feet. It's just totally massive. And that's impossible to replicate. I can sleep more people than anybody else around me can. And then on top of that, I went, I put in a movie theater. I, I built this pergola, swing set, fireplace, area that's really unique and nobody else has anything like it. So we're adding more amenities than anybody else has gotten sleeping, more people than anybody else has. So um, I've got a couple different layers of edges above everybody else, but yeah, to your point about data, I think, you know, I was talking with another investor this morning that I was showing a house and he said what he really likes to do is kind of look at the luxury segment of a, of of a particular market and then figure out what the entire market is doing and, and what is the the, the growth trends of the entire market. So for instance, like if you look in, in air DNA, you can see a really big growth trend in Asheville, for instance, that the revenue since 2018 is very consistently going up 50% every single year from, from month to month, year to year averages, right? So from December to December, from March to March, it's, it's up 50% year over year, where our listings are it's not
0: doubling every two years. Yeah. Doubling every two years in demand.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they're saying, you know, AirDNA is out there saying this is going to be the most money ever spent on short-term rentals is this summer. So yes, it's getting oversaturated. There are a lot more listings to compete with, but that's what it is: is competition. And you can win a competition. You just have to have the best skill. Right? It's like winning any competition. You got to have the best skills. Sometimes you got to put in the most money, and and you got to work on it harder than anybody else does. And if you can do that, it can be incredibly lucrative.
0: Yeah, and that's why I say like short term rentals is is cool, where like your inputs define your outputs, because like there's a lot you know you invest in a stock, you know maybe you did more research on the stock and picked a better stock, but really like nothing you do is gonna define if that stock goes up twenty percent in value or goes down twenty percent. Like your inputs do not define your outputs. Uh, Any good investor will tell you, hey, don't you know you should just invest in the S and P 500. You shouldn't even be a stock picker because you're probably going to lose. That's not the case with short-term rentals. Like your inputs do define your outputs. Like the amount of time you put in to like, you know, walking around your property and just thinking about all the little things that are going to make the experience awesome pay off. So, and I, I, one thing I want to talk about now that I'm trying to like hammer on is like design and, and just to like, you know, personally our first property, like we bought it with the crappy furniture that was in there and we threw it up on, you know, you know, we, we got it rented. Uh, obviously, even a lot more than that, that we did not do at the time that we should have done. But now I'm like, damn, each time we do it, like it's, we, it's got to be done really well in order for us to hit those, you know, our objectives. So yeah, tell me a kind of about like, in the last few years, like, has design became more
1: important? I think it's the number one thing nowadays, design and amenities in the short term rental, because you can capture more and more money. As the, as the years go on, right? If you're the number one property. And we've seen this time and time again, where our clients that hire a professional designer, they, they paint accent walls, they add more amenities than anybody else has around them. My favorite things to do now is I'll go into the top properties of Airbnb, and I'm gonna, uh, of AirDNA, and I'm gonna look for what amenities do all those places have. And I wanna look not just, you, you need to go through and actually filter that by bedroom size. Because what's working in a one bedroom might not be working in the six bedrooms. Obviously, if you just look at the the number one property, it's going to be really hard to replicate what they've got there. But I'll give you a perfect example. There was this uh, small two bedroom. It kind of looked like a tree house. Like the build outside was really cool. It was $450,000 or something for like 800 square feet. The price per square foot was really high. We had a Canadian that came and bought that. And we found a comp that was a one bedroom. It was a small place, but they just did it total luxury. I mean, it felt like walking into a five-star resort spa and everything just dripped luxury. They probably spent like $80,000 on furniture in this small one bedroom place. Like that's really risky. But they were doing $170,000 a year in revenue. Jeez. Just incredible! They probably bought the house for like three hundred grand. They just did it up so nice that it, the, the money was getting returned to them so quickly. They probably made back that eighty grand that they spent up front in year one, and now they're just rolling in 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 pure cash flow, right? And so we've seen it over and over again, and we've actually got some case studies. If anybody's interested in the Western North Carolina market that we did um, from five of my clients last year who purchased, and they all used the same designer they typically spend about double the amount of money than we would normally recommend in design and furniture. So if we would, you know, in, in 2020 times, say spend 40 grand, they actually spend 80 or 90, but in every single instance, they did 40 or 50,000 in revenue above what we were actually initially expecting. And so they got paid back in year one for that extra money. And now that's 40 or $50,000 a year in free, Profit, free net operating income, cash flow, right? So, and so that 5,500
0: square foot house you bought, did you did you use that uh, your firm?
1: I did not. I actually really just so Ashita designed five places for my clients last year, but I didn't actually introduce her to my clients. Somehow they f- all found them on her own.
0: Gotcha. And
1: so I met her while I was at, like the day that I finished ordering all the furniture and it all showed up at my house. Ashita came to look at it, and I was really kind of upset. And she was walking around looking at it. She goes, "Yeah, this will be nice." So I'll probably end up having to have her come back in and refresh some things.
0: Okay, so so design is huge. And you know, the example you gave—a one-bedroom that probably had no comp for it. Uh, You know, they balled out on design, and not only spending money, but obviously putting that money to good use, and it's it's paying rewards. But I know we talked about this last week. And, you know, we'll again, Tyler and I are probably two of the folks folk who like think about this more than anybody else, like in the world. And we're connected with more people who are doing this successfully. But like, what are you seeing in terms of I know you said size earlier, but like, yeah, is and, and this is what we talked about, like bigger houses doing better, or, like with, with things, you know, people posting online that they're not doing well right now. What is doing well?
1: yeah so we're definitely finding that it's the large houses at least in western north carolina that are performing really well so i've got this place under contract and really it's just the setup of the house it you know the the previous people that lived there had a gym they had an office they had a movie room they had all these extra rooms and they just set the house up the right way when converting it to a short-term rental, this place is going to have nine bedrooms. It's still going to have a movie theater. It's going to have a downstairs rec room. And even AirDNA spit out $270,000 a year on a, on a million-dollar purchase. And so we're definitely seeing where it's the large houses where you can get a lot of people in, big, big groups. And there's just so few of them because... What builders out there building fifty-five hundred square foot million-dollar houses anymore? They're they're just not. You can what I found is you can find a lot from like the early two thousands, and so we've almost developed like a little niche here: early two thousands, mid two thousands houses that are just these massive, massive behemoths with extra rooms and pool table rooms and movie theater rooms and all this cool stuff but their price per square foot, the value is incredible. And you go in and you have to do light fixtures, you have to do ceiling fans, and you know sometimes you gotta do countertops and stuff like that. But when you look at what the potential is for this house on a cash out refi, for instance, the place that I bought for 850, I only need a couple extra dollars a square foot to just push that value higher and higher and be able to pull out every dollar that I put into the place, right? And so we found that you can take these early 2000s massive houses update them for relatively cheap compared to the size and not have to worry about things like the roof or the AC. We found most of the times those things are already done. They've already been done once and recently. And so it's kind of like a little niche that we found for these type of houses that are just working really, really well.
0: So you say like that's kind of a recent, you know, 2023 recent uh, development?
1: Yeah, probably in like the last year, really. Since last year, we've been seeing these kind of pop up. And it's been really interesting and everybody that's buying them is, is doing incredibly well. That think, obviously cabins are always a, bit, a, a big one too. So if you can find like a three level cabin or something, you know, that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, I think that's funny because that's honestly kind of been my thesis since started buying in 2020 was because like early on, I thought that, you know, I want to think worst case scenario, you know, COVID obviously was some some bit of like, you know, people weren't going to hotels. So a one bedroom, two bedroom was a great alternative to in a hotel. Now, folk like want the actual, you know, resort experience, like meaning sitting at a pool with a hundred other people is something that is appealing to people now. And that's at the direct like competition to those little intimate one, one bedroom experiences. However, those to me i consider it four bedroom plus properties are just totally differentiated and and that demographic you go for is like multi-generational travel you know grandma and grandpa booked the house they have two of their kids who both have their own families and they can all stay in one roof like you said that three floor put the kids in the basement and it's actually the house that we most recently because we bought a couple with you but the most recent purchase we've done with you literally everything you just said it it checks off three bedroom cabin you know, four more bedrooms. I know you're looking for the behemoths now that are like the six bedrooms, but really, like, pretty much the same, the same sauce there. So, guys, like, this is an evolving game, is kind of the point that we're getting at. And, like, things that work today, you got to be thinking about tomorrow as well. And yeah. those six bedroom homes, they're differentiated. They just are. Like, there's nothing else out there. And you pimp them out with, you know, the family doesn't even need to leave the house. So, like, what amenities you're doing? You're doing, I mean, Western NC in particular. Hot tubs, fire pits, game room. Just tell us what what do these behemoths need to really crush
1: it? Yeah, so the the hot tub, I've been telling people this lately, like the hot tub is more important than the beds at this point, right? Because the thing is, is everybody has one. So you can't not have not that have as an amenity, right? Um, but then going above and beyond, really, the game rooms are getting more and more important. But going into design, I think it's really important that you pick a location to invest in where the design is going to be able to stick for at least a few years. So I think this is a problem, like for instance, in Orlando, right? People are spending $20,000 a bedroom to theme the bedrooms out there. And the problem is, is that they're, they're trendy and trends change very quickly. And so if you can try to do something that's timeless or something that's not going to change in a a market where the standards aren't rapidly developing, it's like Western North Carolina. You can, as long as you spend the money up front here, you can pretty much bet that your design, your, your amenities are going to be on point for the next three, four five years. Give you a good example. I had an investor come here uh, from Gatlinburg and he goes, well, this new construction doesn't have an indoor pool. And this is, you know, he's coming from Gatlinburg buying here in, in Western North Carolina. And I'm like, nobody has an indoor pool here. Nobody's building indoor pools here. I don't even think there's a pool company in Banner Elk. Right. And so, you know, looking at those sort of trends and how fast some of those markets are developing those trends. I would look for a market, and this is why we're looking at middle America because the standards are so easy to beat. And then you'll, you'll have them forever right? you have them for a long time. And so you get better guests, you have higher average daily rates. You don't have to market your property as much. And I think at the end of the day, like just having design that sticks, and then you don't have to dump money in over and over every single year, because that's money out of your cash flow that you're really not accounting for. I even think B&B Calc has, you know, anything that says we're spending this much money on new design every year, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I, I wouldn't even have thought of that as like a metric. I mean, I've never redesigned. I mean, we might like Change a couple things and add a couple photos. But yeah, we've never fully redesigned a house or needed to, which is crazy. You're saying that because I'm thinking about it. I'm looking at, I'm thinking in my head, yeah, that Kissimmee, Florida, those Scottsdale, Arizona, like those markets where you look up an Airbnb and they're all going to have Scottsdale, for example, they're all going to have the heated pools or Palm Springs, Coachella. They're all going to be themed. You know, they're all going to like, you know, really you know, be an attempt to stand out from each other. But yeah, then two more years of inventory comes in, what do you got to do? You know, Uh, because everybody's improving off of each other. and That's actually funny, because like what my personal strategy is, or that I'm going to start to implement is like, take that Scottsdale, Arizona, you know, those design features, like the people who are doing it the best there, and apply it to middle America, or for me, it's like medium sized cities that are growing in population that aren't like, again, typical quote unquote vacation. Maybe they don't have beaches or anything, but like they have reasons to go there. Yeah. So how do you apply Scottsdale and Kissimmee and what everyone's doing there and bring it to a place where nobody's doing it? And that's yeah. how the data's not there yet. The data's not going to tell you that this house is going to pull in 250,000 a year. You're going to be the one who sets that precedent.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's those people that always make the most money because you get in first you have all the reviews. And then two years later, when somebody comes in and copies you, there's no way that they can develop those two years of reviews. They can't get to number one, right? Because you're already locked into that spot. So there is a little bit more risk in investing in short-term rentals nowadays, I think. Um, And that's what our goal is at, at, at Savvy, is to kind of help curb that risk as much as possible with our local knowledge knowing what sort of design, what location, what area, what bedroom count, what size you're looking for. Does it need views or not? so we're trying to cut out as much of that risk as possible and really just become the real estate agents of choice for short-term rental investors, right? Anybody can go to Destin and buy a beach house. That's not hard. But if you go to Destin and buy a beach house nowadays, you're paying $1.5 million and you're probably going to make $150,000 a year in revenue, right? And for me, that's just not good enough because I know I can beat that the, those percentages almost anywhere in America at this point, right? You don't need to spend a million and a half dollars to make that kind of money. You need to spend like 800, right? And then put it into design and you're going to make 150. It's not that hard.
0: Definitely. And I think it's interesting. Yeah, you say the Destin, but it's like, take that Destin to middle of America. You know, don't go to Destin. Don't go to Destin with middle America dollars. Take that you know, take all that design inspiration, that feel, you know, that beach feel, that theme, bring it somewhere that it doesn't have it. And, you know, when people are online, they're looking for houses. A lot of people just go to Airbnb and they search. They don't necessarily even put in like Destin, you know, they're they're just searching for a house that can fit a certain amount of people that has great reviews and, you know, and they might even be looking, you know, for something within two hours drive, which that's what middle America is. It's people, you know, people, it's driving country, like people are going to get in their minivan and they're going to pile in and, and they're going to go there. I think that's really so So you're focusing on markets that are kind of like the underdeveloped and you're going to be the one who pioneers it or develops it, so to speak. <laughs> Don't develop it too much though. I mean, it's, it's okay. I'll be there with you, but like <laughs> for those listening, like buy somewhere else. No, I'm just kidding. Hit up Tyler. He'll, he'll help you out.
1: Yeah. I think it's, you know, some of the best return on investment that we saw just kind of looking at at huge databases of, of data was in areas like South Bend, Indiana, Right. And looking at these college towns where, you know, you get a season of college football and you can buy a house for two hundred thousand and you can make 60 grand in, in a college season. Right. And uh, a college football season. And so I think it's really interesting because these these vacation type destinations or where it's tourist only, it's just, you know, they're getting 50 million people a year whatever. Uh The problem is that that's where the eyes are, not just from even inside the US, but do you know how many people from China that own in Orlando? Tons. I know real estate agents that made their entire, an entire decade of their career around selling houses in Orlando, Florida to. Chinese residents, right. As investment properties. And so I think it's really interesting, like the fact that, you know, I'll give you another good example. Canadians right now are coming down into the U S because there is no asset class in Canada that's worth investing in anymore. You can't make it in the stock market, long-term rental, short-term rental returns, commercial multifamily. It's like two to 4% returns that you can get in Canada. Yeah. If even, so they're coming down here and they're okay getting less returns here right then then you want they're happy at a 15 percent cash on cash return but the thing is is where are they going to go they're going to go to orlando they're going to go to daytona they're going to go to 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 uh you know Destin and gulf shores because those are the only areas they know so we have a little bit more local knowledge here you know being in in the u.s where we can go to those kind of middle america markets where we know that that's actually where the cash flow is the best it's just the hardest to find deals there so that's what we want to solve
0: and I think it's interesting. Something I say is like, I like to buy places where it's hard to buy. And because again, that just, you know, kissing me, you're gonna, you talked about like a pool service provider in, in Banner Elk. And actually we I was looking at a house in Western NC that had a pool and I was like, the issue is there's gonna be no pool service provider here. I actually, well, the house that we bought with you, we had, we had to pipe in water and we had to call a, a water delivery service that generally does pools from two and a half hours away because essentially we had a water issue and we needed to get water for a guest, which was crazy. It was like, I, the, the fact that had like, there's just not, there's a lack of service providers. And that's why people do what's easy. They go to, you know, the Kissimmee's where, you know, there's a, there's a pool guy, probably every 20 feet, you know, yeah. there's a, <laughs> there's a million short-term rental property management firms if, if they need them. So when you go to these places and you invest in infrastructure you know, you really build yourself a moat.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I think, you know, it, it, anytime you look at is it harder to buy in an area? If you can succeed with that, you're now in a market where everybody else looks at it and goes, it's too hard to buy there. And so, you know, looking at a moat, I think you're a moat with. The- you know the freaking Cinderella Castle, right? Like you're you're a moat with the with the Disney castle in the background, and I think it's it's really interesting. And if you can put in that kind of work up front, then I think you're going to reap the rewards in the back end. It is very easy to go buy a short term rental in Orlando or in Destin. I'm not an Orlando or Destin hater; they're just coming to the yeah. Top they're examples: right they're but, they're uh,
0: Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm, <laughs> Palm, Palm Palm Springs, California. But I think it's interesting you say because, like, I think me and you we probably have a tendency to like. We think about a deal. It's like, this deal's got to absolutely crush it because that's what you know, the deals we have done have absolutely crushed it. But it's like, you know, for folk who are investors in general, maybe they've you know, built wealth over 20, 30 years, they're looking at this not as like the same way we are. To them, they're just like, you know, my commercial properties make X. My, my long-term rentals you know, are making X. Oh, this short-term rental thing, it could make like right now, you, know, you buy a long-term rental, even in America, you were saying Canada was like 2%. I mean I think I don't see anything that really cash flows as a long-term rental in the US. So really like short-term rentals is one of the only places and to be frank like if there's something that's making a lot more yield than short-term rentals let me know like I'm not married to that notion can but uh, <laughs> I'm in deep at this point but like I guess for you it's like all right yeah it's a little bit harder you know you can still crush it but like before it was just super easy but like there's other benefits to buying beyond just hitting that 20, 25% cash on cash. Like there's other benefits to real estate. And have you found folk are just like the other benefits is like, you know, the tax benefits or is is that things that appeal to people beyond just cash flow?
1: Yeah. So when I was talking to uh, this guy that worked at Google, he told me to, well, he he told me one thing. He said, well, I've got to put down 25%. So I said, no, you don't. You can do a 10% down second home loan. So I saved him, you know, if he's going to buy a million dollar property, I saved him 150 grand. Knowing that he worked, he's a product engineer at Google. Um, I'm like, okay, well, and I'm sure, you know, I'm just going to ask because I ask everybody, but I'm sure you know about a cost segregation study, right? And he's like, no, what is that? And I'm like, I'm going to have to write you an invoice after this phone call, because I 400 grand in this one phone call. And so, you know, I talked to him about what a cost segregation study is. And he's like, yeah, my tax bill next year is probably going to be about one 150, 200,000. And he said, how about zero? How about zero dollars? So put that money into a short-term rental this year, you do a cost segregation study, and you don't pay any money in tax, right? Talk to your CPA. I'm not a CPA CPA (laughs) or whatever. I think people are definitely looking at those benefits. You know, one thing that we talked about adding, for instance, into B&B Calc was revenue appreciation. So I think, you know, if you you look at a short-term rental and you can feel really comfortable that it's going to do $100,000 this year, why wouldn't you feel comfortable that it can do 105 or 110 next year in year two, in year three, in year four, in year five, because inflation is a real thing. And even though they're trying to get it to come down, that doesn't mean they're trying to get it to go negative. They don't want inflation to go negative, but they want it to hit their target 2%. Right. But even we we had appreciation, property appreciation built in there, but there is, I think, you know, that aspect of revenue appreciation as well. Your average, Which we did
0: getting, add, by the way, are going to go up.
1: Yeah. And you did, I think you guys get it done like 24 hours every time. Quick turnaround. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, I think there are a lot of other cherries on top that that make it well worth it. You know, to to start creating almost generational wealth, right? So you, especially talking about going in and designing and kind of redesigning and updating a property. For me, that's the best bang for the buck in in the world, right? Going in and doing lighting fixtures, throw some paint, change some flooring, like you totally change the look of the house and the value of the house without actually putting that much money in.
0: Exactly, exactly. So and so the benefits and this is actually a big thing that's specific to short term rentals. And this was like, this is relatively new to me and probably, I mean, I would assume relatively new to you. But like, you know, in the last couple of years, there's been we don't need to get into the exact science, not neither nor are we, you know, CPAs, but you can you can depreciate a house over 26 and a half year span. Depreciation is like a phantom loss you're showing on the property. So it's not like, you know, the government's not taking, you know, money away from your property. It's just you're showing that every year it's like theoretically losing value and you're getting that theoretical loss as an offset. In the past few years, you've been able to apply bonus depreciation. Uh, In order to do that, you have to do something called a cost segregation study, which Tyler talked about, where essentially you're going to take the entire house and you're going to boil it down into specific components of which some of them you can depreciate on a quicker schedule. So not that 26 and a half years I talked about. But that being said, uh, what's, I think it's the short term loophole or something or a second home yeah. loophole, short term yeah. loophole yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: where you can effectively. So you show this huge loss, you do a cost segregation study, you apply bonus appreciation, which this year it's going to be 80% the depreciation amount. But last year it was a hundred percent of the amount that you could theoretically show in the early years. So there are going to be some components of your home. You can't write off, Day one. But that being said, I think it averages out to like what 20, 25% of the home's value you could have yeah. written off in 2022.
1: Yeah, it's massive.
0: It's a massive. It's crazy. Goal. It's crazy. Yeah. And even 80% of that this year is still like, yeah, like you said, you buy a million dollar house. Let's say you can write off 80% of 200,000, which will be 20%. That's still 160 grand of a write off. And yeah. it's something that's specific to short term rentals. And that's, I don't know, again, we don't have to go too much CPA talk, but it's thing called like active participation. Yeah. Or Tyler, if you can cut me off and know more on this than I do. <laughs>
1: that's, that's it, really. I think it's just that you have to actively participate. And so you don't have, you can't have a property manager or anything like that. Again, talk to, talk to a CPA, talk to somebody like Madison Specs or Ryan Bakey. One thing that I always mention to people is that and, that and
0: Ryan has scheduled time on this podcast. So just stay tuned for this podcast and he'll be on here in a couple of weeks. That's right.
1: There you go. And so <laughs> one, one thing to keep in mind, though, Ryan Bacholt and I called it the Cossack Rush. At the end of last year, because people knew it was going from 100% to 80%, from like mid-October to the end of December, our phones were just totally blowing up, and people were buying, buying, buying as much as they could. Because really, at the end of the day, if they had a hundred and fifty thousand dollar tax bill, they could they could wipe it out to zero, right? And that's massive. That's a hundred and fifty thousand dollar. The government just paid their down payment and their their design of that entire house. Right from Uncle Sam, right to their down payment, right, and so it is really interesting, you know, what they're able to do. But the thing is, is that that's going to sunset. So this year it's eighty percent, but next year it's sixty, then it's forty, then it's twenty, then it's nothing. And so if you want the the biggest lion share of that bonus depreciation, you got to buy before the end of the year. And I got to imagine that just. The same that happened last year, at the end of this year, there's going to be another cost segregation rush. And it's really, really hard. And it's really stressful to try and do that in two months. To try to get it launched, you got to have like three bookings on the books before the end of the year. It's really, really tough. So do it now before December. It's very, very stressful. And I don't get to have a very nice Christmas when everybody calls for (laughs) Christmas Eve to buy a house.
0: (laughs) Come on, don't don't make Tyler not have have to give up his New Year's plans. All right. Bye today. Uh, I think that's the least. But I think the point is like again, it's just, and I've realized this, and I've even seen it like evolve for myself. Like when I first started in this game, it was like cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Like nothing else, you know, comes second to that. Like that's what's going to allow me to reinvest quicker and buy more places. But now it's like, you know, I just paid my taxes, whatever, last week, and you know, now I'm more thoughtful for next year. All right, I'm going to buy a house this year. I'm going to cost seg it. I'm going to do bonus appreciation and that's going to be a huge contributor to like my total ROI. So my point being is like and I your work with investors like not everybody has that same, you know, that same oh I need a certain degree of cash flow. People are buying houses for different reasons. And I'm sure you work with folks too who are like, oh I actually want to, you know, go there too. I'm sure that's a, the lifestyle freedom is that a component as well?
1: It's a small component, but mostly I think, you know, and this is probably more because of who I am, that I'm really, I am looking for cash flowing and value add properties. To your point, it's not just cash flow. There are other things. We were looking at this property in Black Mountain and, you know, have like 1200 square feet in the basement that you could finish. And looking at the price per square foot of upstairs was like 400 bucks a square foot. Typically, if you take unfinished basement space and convert it to finished basement space, you get half of the price per square foot that you have upstairs, right? So we're talking 200 bucks a square foot. We had a contractor come in and say, it would cost 65,000 to finish this off add a couple bedrooms, add a bathroom. So we're looking at, okay, what's 200 bucks a square foot by, let's say a thousand square feet to make the numbers easy is 200 grand, cost 65 grand to do it. This is the best return on investment you could possibly ever get. So even if you don't make a dollar on short-term rentals over the next year and a half, you can sell that property and, and walk away with 120 130 140 grand just in value from finishing that square footage. So, I think, you know, don't forget about the basic principles of investing in real estate, which is, you know, value add properties, appreciation, cash flow is a big component of short-term rentals and you should still be able to get a 25% cash on cash return out there. There are other kind of cool things that you can do as well.
0: Yeah, I think it's all it's it's hilarious that I mean you're saying this and it's like yeah I mean I don't even know if I told you but the house so again that we bought a three a three floor cabin with Tyler February of 2022 so about 15 months ago as of the date filming this and we finished the unfinished basement uh, we added I think 800 or 700 square feet uh, and then we also kind of like finished off the garage technically that doesn't really count because you know it's still a garage it's not classified as anything else. But then we, uh, we refinanced it in order to or sorry, we reappraised it in order to get rid of PMI. So we bought the house 10% down It was 430k. Uh, I think it appraised like 440 450 initially. So it did over appraise but not by like that insane amount. But we finished off. We actually we did it very, very affordably. Shout out to to Omar. <laughs> we had some very nice, nice, uh, nice contractors who who gave us uh you know helped us out. So I don't even honestly it was crazy how we pretty much did supplies and like paid our guys like ten fifteen dollars an hour. I think
1: that's awesome. And,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, we had to bring in Spanish Spanish speaking people to communicate with them. You know, it was more more hands on than the general contractor experience. But we got it reappraised for five twenty nine. So we got rid of that PMI because PMI gets rid or you get rid of it at twenty percent. We didn't we didn't pull any cash from it because rates have gone so much higher that we didn't refinance it. But it was literally Tyler is explaining something that they're going to do. That was something that we literally did do, and I don't even know if I shared with him. But yeah, we we uh, on paper, you know, our ROI I guess in one year is like pretty insane.
1: Yeah. So you guys added over a hundred thousand dollars in value. What did it t- What did it cost you to finish that space? Like. 30, 40,000. Yeah, I'd
0: say, I'd say, uh, cause we, I mean, we also did other things, uh, you know, we did the light fixtures, we painted the entirety of the exterior of the house. This year we actually added a well, we added the well after it got reappraised. So I guess I shouldn't consider that, but yeah, I think, and then we also, you know, we furnished it, mm-hmm. but I think it, yeah, we we're probably all in like 70, 65, 70 of which like 40 ish probably was yeah, maybe 35, 40 was the, cause we also did a hot tub too. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so I'd say 35 K to add like hundred K of value.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. And you're not getting that investment in any, any, like that return on investment in anything else, right? You're not getting 300% in the stock market. <laughs>
0: exactly. And, that, and that's like, you're being a value add investor. You know, I guess is like probably the best uh, terminology used where like you find a property, you see, wow, part of it's unfinished or it's, it looks crappy, you know, on, on the outside, everything looks crappy, but you know, you repaint, you put in new floors, you put in new light fixtures, bang, it feels modern. You know, people are going to be wanting, you know, the comps are now going to be at a premium to what it was before. And that, yeah. that's home
1: flipping 101.
0: Uh, that is what home flipping literally is.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's almost a combination. So you're kind of taking like the Burr method and short-term rentals and home flipping and kind of putting it all together in one. Because you know, in home flipping, what you're not getting, and, and even in the Burr method, you're not getting those cost and tax benefits, right? So if you can if you can do all of these things, you this isn't just the cherry on top, like it's 20 cherries on top, right? And so for me, that's what I really like about short-term rentals.
0: Exactly. And that's, and that's something that, you know, you need to think about your own personal situation. Like what are the things that, you know, is the tax benefits you're looking for optimize for tax benefits, cash flow, and then, you know, talk to someone like Tyler and tell them, Hey, this is what I'm trying to, this is my situation. You know, if the, if the Google guy hadn't opened up and given you his situation and then I also work with folk to, you know, help them get into the game. And the more they tell me, the more I can help them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, sometimes I'll get clients who are, you know, they think I'm just a normal real estate agent. I start talking to them about like mortgage lending and things like that. And I, I'll have to tell them like, you want me involved, right? Like I'm I'm only going to steer you in the right direction on everything. It's so important because as an investment realtor, the outcome of whatever you do is the most important, right? This isn't like going to be your dream home where your family's going to live. So I don't need to know about all that, but I need to know about the finances and, and how much money do you have in the bank, right? How much are you able to spend on this property without going broke? You know, we've got people that are at really small budgets and it's that's OK, but it's really good to know up front because then we're going to we're going to look for properties that don't require 150,000 upfront, right? Like you can still do these things at a smaller budget. You just have to be really careful with how you do them and and what you're looking for, right? So for instance, looking for like the small luxury house, right, might be something that somebody with 50, 60, $70,000 has to do. I made a post on Facebook about this yesterday. I think we're gonna see a lot of listings drop off the market Um, as design becomes more and more and more important, I think we're going to see arbitrage fall off the grid because nobody in arbitrage is going to spend $80,000 in design. They're just not going to, if they had that kind of money, you know, up front, they'd be buying property and not doing arbitrage. And so I think we're going to see them continuously get pushed down the, the rankings and the ratings. And we're, we're going to see owners come up in the in rankings and ratings. So I wouldn't be surprised if we, we did see actually some some decrease in, in listing inventory over the next couple of years because of that.
0: Yeah. And I do think that there definitely has been an oversupply of the one, two bedrooms, probably from variables. Like you said, people want to get into the game. They don't have as much money, so they can arbitrage a one-bedroom or two-bedroom apartment. And I would say that is part of my portfolio, and that part of my portfolio is definitely feeling the most like pain. I mean, we're still heading into high season here, but you know, definitely January through April, you know, not the high season or the the cash flow that you might see online, and definitely the folk posting about that stuff online with the one-two bedroom apartments. Like they're probably not sharing the. The whole picture, I'll be honest with you guys. <laughs> and uh, I think it's like you just said, is because you know it's kind of been popularized online and you know people with less money, what are they gonna do? They're not renting a six bedroom house where they have to put 30 grand into furniture. They're yeah. gonna rent a one bedroom house, but then what's 10 other of people just like them gonna do? So I think that's really interesting you touch on that. And yeah, that is something I will say. Again, my smaller apartment units, I don't have that many of them because a few years ago I was like, how do I wanna construct my portfolio? And that wasn't what I thought would be good long-term. But yeah, guys, they're definitely feeling pain. So one tangible tip, be cautious, unless you're gonna really, like you said, differentiate your one to two bedroom properties, which is going to cost money. So really insightful point, Todd. But yeah, what other, you know, while we have you here, I guess if you're gonna think like, what is the most, well, I'm gonna ask you two questions. I'm gonna say like, give me a huge tangible takeaway for anyone listening to this. You know, you have so much knowledge, you talk to so many people just spill it. What What's spill the beans on short-term rentals. Let them hear it.
1: So I think for me it would be if if we're looking at unique properties and if we want our property to be above average, then don't go into software and simply look at a number that an algorithm spit out, that's an average. If you want an above average property, why would you look at an average of what other properties are doing? You have to go out and you have to find the specific comps that actually reflect your property really well and then you beat that those those comps, right? Figure out what you can do to beat those comps. And if you can't, then you walk away, right? But a lot of times we can and we can we can figure out how to beat those properties. So for me that would be my number 1 tip. Dig deeper into the data. If on an investment decision, I'll spend 45 minutes looking for comps before I'm even like, okay, this might be worth checking out and going to see, right? And and that's just the, the very start of the process there. We do that for our clients as well.
0: Yeah. And just context, guys. So Tyler is a BNB Calc power user. He's also been hugely influential in like the design of the product because he's someone who runs the numbers so often that it makes, obviously, he's going to have a better idea of how it should be made. But that AirDNA number on BNB Calc, the AirDNA revenue estimate, that is that 50th percentile number that's pulled from AirDNA. So just for those of you guys listening who are also BNB Calc users, understand that's you know what he's talking about. That is that average. So you got to go you know AirDNA if you if you have it and, and pay for their subscription, or what? You can go to Airbnb too and also start playing around and get an idea, right? Or or call me or call Tyler. <laughs> make it make it easy. <laughs> so okay, so your pro tip, your pro tip is find comps, you know, don't just don't rely on averages.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Especially when you're going to, if you're, if you want to be the best property and you're going to go into a market that the standards are really low, like Asheville or Western North Carolina, which is a big benefit to investors that the standards are low, then why would you want to compare with grandma and grandpa? I was on a podcast earlier and and she said, it looks like grandma died in the house and (laughs) <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, that's exactly right. Right. Like the beds are dusty <laughs> gross, and they're still, people are still even renting it. So how hard could it possibly be to beat those people? Yeah. I would, I would look for professionally managed photograph design comps and just make sure that, uh, you're you're gonna do better than them, right? And it's not that hard if you go into areas like Western North Carolina, Kentucky, Myrtle Beach, for instance. Myrtle Beach was just—I read an article earlier today—the dirtiest hotel rooms in America. I, I saw that and I was like dollar signs. That's dollar signs in my eyes. Because what I also know is they've got some of the worst short-term rentals in America as well. They're like gross there's a, you know, it's almost all property managed out there. I think when, when Aaron and I ran the numbers, it was like 80% in houses in Myrtle beach were property managed by local property managers and you know, they're not doing a good job. And so for me, I'm like, that's dollar signs. If I can come in there and do what I do in that market, it's going to be really, really interesting for me.
0: Gotcha. And guys, when he says this, doesn't mean you're, you know, he did mention earlier, like paying more for design, but that also could just be putting more effort in, you know, if you're doing it yourself, Go on Facebook Marketplace, go on Craigslist, like find less expensive furniture, but just do a good job. You know, you have a friend who's a good, got a good design eye, get their opinions on things. For guys, I'm going to be honest, probably means talking to a girl. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll speak for myself. You know, that's, that's generally the approach I take. Let's get some girls' opinions on things, not guys' opinions. So that's really interesting. So, all right, yeah, pro tip. So I'm just trying to kind of take away some tangible things which is, you know, for you, it's just, you know, look places with less competition. It's beat everybody on design, beat them on design, beat them on competition and big houses.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: And also hit, hit you up and how could they do that?
1: Yeah. So shoot me an email. It's Tyler at Savvy S A V V Y. We'll get you in for a call, whether it's in my area North Carolina, South Carolina, for Myrtle beach, Kentucky, the entire state, Red River Gorge, Mammoth cave urban trail over there and uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee as well.
0: Beautiful. Awesome. Well, Tyler, thanks so much. Thanks so much for coming on. Definitely need to have you have you back as things continue to evolve and you know you can share your insights and with our audience. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed. and uh, until next time, thanks for coming.